take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. look through this telescope. Do you ever wonder what is out there in the abyss? If you were to scream, would anyone hear you? Lovely, isn't it? <laughs> Come, I have a fine tale for you today. The Astronaut's Ghost, written by Ken McGrath. I was nine when I saw the astronauts ghost out by Purcell's farm, near the hay barn where my brother Jack died. But it wasn't him I saw that night. I was grounded at the time because of some trouble I'd gotten into at school. Basically, I'd unspooled all the bog roll I could find into one of the toilet bowls and flushed. I don't even remember why I did it. Probably boredom. Funny thing is though, I'll never forget the shock of seeing it backing up and flooding the place. Water just kept rising and rising, pouring over the edge. Just kept coming, splashing all over my shiny new Clarks. Me thinking, Mammy's going to kill me for getting my shoes wet. You know that feeling you've probably only gotten as a kid? When you're in real proper trouble, where your stomach just knots, your fingers go tingly, and you're about to pee fire. That was exactly how I felt standing there, unable to stop what I'd started. Ma'am double-barreled me as soon as she got me out of Mr Hickey's office. She didn't even wait to get me home first, just started, right there in the school car park, with all the kids in Miss Dunn's junior infants class gawping out the window at us. Ma'am roaring her head off, me stood there pure embarrassed, telling me how mortified she was that I, Elizabeth Margaret Shaw, I'd let her down so badly. What was I thinking? Didn't I know she played bridge with Eileen McNamara, the vice principal? How was she supposed to show her face next week? And so on, and so on, and on. I was only ever Elizabeth Margaret Shaw when I was in serious trouble. Otherwise, it was plain old Lizzie to the parentals and Beth to everyone else. So anyway, there I was, the night I saw the astronaut's ghost, having been under house arrest for more than a week with no TV, no internet, no nothing. You better believe I was going mad. And worst of all, Amy Purcell from up the road was having a sleepover I just had to be at. I pure flipped out. I mean, how much more trouble could I get in? That's what I thought. I climbed out the bedroom window, hopped the wall so the folks wouldn't hear the gate creaking and took off up the road to Purcell's farm as bold as brass. All nine-year-old brazen swagger on a dark country lane with not even the cows watching. A pitch black night in October, before the new houses were built, back when ours was actually in the countryside. A 
and just before I came up to the Purcells it appeared, cutting through the darkness like a slice of white static. A ghost. It glowed but didn't cast any light, only lit itself up, tilted its helmet to look at me, then started flushing in and out of existence, moving in these weird jerky twitches, like the girl from the ring films. No noise, just a constant epileptic appearing and disappearing. The whole time pointed at its chest, as the letters above its heart. W-B-S-I-R-E. It's only now, seven years later, that I've figured out what that means. Too late. Out of time. Apparently Amy's dar found me standing in the lane by their barn, screaming my lungs out. Screaming about this ghost. The parentals thought I'd been attacked or something much, much worse had happened. Obviously, everything checked out okay, and I think in the end they figured I got spooked by a cow or some other animal moving about beyond in the fields, in the dark. Back then, I used to watch a lot of old BBC shows online. Doctor Who, Day of the Triffids, Quartermass, loads of Hammer Horror movies, Twilight Zone, Tales of the Unexpected, that sort of thing. Stuff I was probably far too young for. I was always drawing pictures of the monsters from them, so I reckon they thought my imagination went into overdrive that I'd scared myself. Maybe if it was just a regular ghost I'd seen. They'd have thought it was Jack instead, and believed me. For ages after, when I'd get upset about it, Dad used to calm me down, saying it couldn't have been an astronaut's ghost. He said to become an astronaut, you'd have to be a scientist like my brother Finn, who was off in America. And science doesn't believe in ghosts, only logic. That's what he'd say. And Mamet always laugh. I tried to understand, but didn't find it funny. Now that I understand things, I actually find it scary. My parents weren't bad, not at all. They really tried, bless them. But I was a bit wild, and they were old when they had me. More often than not, I was left to my own devices. I wasn't an only child, but I may as well have been. The other three were all either dead or moved out before I even understood what brothers and sisters were. Was I an accident? Well, Finn was 17 when I was born, so maybe a little. But it's a bit on the harsh side to say that. And there's no denying I was loved. Maybe it's because of what happened to Jack that my parents were trying to work things through to fill that void. Then I ended up coming along. Every now and then, some kid in school would say how I was an accident. But after I punched Michael Russell in the mouth and knocked out his two front teeth when I was seven and he was ten, no one ever repeated it. Not to my face, anyway. I haven't had to throw a punch since, so it must have been a good one. Honestly, we were so young. I don't think I even understood what he was saying. I just knew it was bad, and I'd had enough. Would you believe Michael Russell actually tried to shift me last weekend when I bumped into him out in the country? Ha! No chance, fella. Morto. So, maybe I was a late blessing then. Well, that's how Mam always put it. Man, she can be such a dote sometimes. Life hasn't been easy for her. When I was born, she and Dad should have been thinking more about retirement and having the house to themselves. 
what with Susan already moved out, Finn preparing to leave for college in America, and Jack gone. Then, surprise, all of a sudden, slap bang, new daughter, and you're back buying nappies and waking up for midnight feeds. I love them for it, but you won't catch me doing that when I'm pushing 50. Not a hope. Our little miracle. That's how Dad put it years later when I asked him. I was visiting him in the home. Gone senile by that stage. The Alzheimer's came on quickly, wiped everything out fast. It lasted just under four years once it got its claws in him. I was 15 a week when we buried him, and I still miss him every day. It was the year before he died when Dad told me that I was his little miracle. The sentiment's nice. The details gross me out. Who wants to think of their parents like that? And my parents were old when they had me, don't forget. I suppose it's nice that they still fancied each other, that the love was still there. But yeah, yuck. I bet he didn't know who he was talking to. It was one of those odd days, where he was talking fine, but speaking like it was years ago, like he was out of time somehow. He sat there in his old, worn-out body, but his mind had jumped back to escape where he was now. Dad never looked at his hands when he was like that, as if he knew that seeing his old wrinkled fingers and palms would break the spell, bring him crashing forward in time to where he didn't want to be. I'd taken scissors to my hair two weeks before, cut it all off, then took Dad's old beard trimmer from the press under the sink and shaved it almost to the scalp. Her hair, sweet Jesus. She looks like Sinead O'Connor. Ma'am actually cried when she saw it. She owned a hairdresser's inside in town, so it properly broke her heart. Called me a hair butcher. After a couple weeks though, she came around to it. Used to sit beside me on the couch, running her fingers over the soft fuzz while we watched the talent shows on Sky One after dinner. Said she enjoyed the feel of it. Then... She started complimenting my face and my high cheekbones, so of course I had to grow it back. There's no point in rebelling if your parents give you a thumbs up for it. I still looked a lot more boy than girl that day, in the home, when Dad told this story about how he had a vasectomy after the twins were born. But somehow, something must have grown back, or there was just a little guy in reserve waiting for a chance to get through. Personally, I didn't want to picture any of that, but it's too late to be squeamish. Either way, whatever happened, all those years and nine months later, little Elizabeth Margaret Shaw arrived, kicking into the world. Technically, it was eight months, and I was born by C-section, but you get where I'm going with this. Anyway, Susan's the eldest. We never got along. I think because Mam got pregnant just after Susan left. A lot of people in town didn't believe it, thought it was Susan had gotten herself into a spot of trouble. I questioned them about it, and it's not true. Thank God. Susan's own kids, Emily and Jacqueline, are right stuck-up cows. She's an accountant in Wexford, got a beautiful house. Adrian, her awesome husband, who has a business making all these jams and craft products. But she's just... We just don't get each other. After the funeral, they were all up at the house. E and J, either too stupid or selfish to care about what was going on, sighing and acting bored. 
Susan had the nerve to turn around and say to me to bring them outside to play. Oh, I lost it with her. Wrought about how he was my dad too. About how she wasn't the one going up to visit him in Padre Pio's every evening. Poor ma'am. Having to listen to that. But Susan deserved it. Since dad died, Susan and ma'am have been getting on better. Which is nice. Nothing like a funeral to bring a softness back between people. Still can't stand her though. Then there were the twins. My brothers. William Butler and Jack Butler. Named for the Yeats boys. The famous Irish poet and his brother. The painter. I think my parents must have been romantics. Hard to imagine them. Her a hairdresser and him a garter sergeant inside the thurls. Naming their boys so fanciful. But there you have it. Finn's nice, more like an uncle than an older brother. Always had art supplies for me when he visited. I never met Jack. He's only ever been a headstone in the graveyard to me. He died at 15, two years before I was born. Fell through the hay in that shed out by Purcell's farm, where I saw the astronaut's ghost. He climbed up the bales to near the roof when it all shifted, and poor Jack fell. Went right down through the hay, broke his neck. Finn was the only one there at the time. Stayed holding his brother, his dead twin. Afraid to let him go. I can't imagine what it'd be like to lose someone that's such a part of you. Dad used to say that after that. After Jack died. All Finn wanted to do was run away. That the moon itself wouldn't be far enough for him. So America had to do. You could tell there was a hurt beneath the joking when he said that. Dad's gone nearly two years now, so we'll never know just how close he was to being right. Finn is William. No one ever called him Liam or Bill or Willie or any of the others. Not around here anyway. Maybe when he moved to the States, people called him by his real name. Or maybe they just called him Dr. Shaw. I was eight before I even learned his name was William. I'd grown up calling him Finn. Why would I have thought any different? One day, Mam cut an article out of the paper where he was mentioned. Some award for achievements in science or whatever he was working on. She had a scrapbook for all those clippings. It was this big, thick book, and it needed to be. Finn was a smart one. They've got his name wrong, I said pointing to the caption. William Shaw, right being presented with a medal for. And Mam burst out laughing. Turns out, when Susan was a toddler, she couldn't say William, so she took to calling him Fing. That turned into Finn, and Finn was what had stuck. He'd been Finn for so long by the time I came along, no one even thought to tell me his real name. I was fair mad at Mam for a while over that, but she reckoned it was hilarious. Dad was kinder about it. Brought me into town, bought me sweets. Told me it wasn't right that Mam had laughed. But that it was kind of funny. I didn't mind. It's easy to forgive these things when you've a big bag of dolly mix and cola bottles in hand. I've only thought of it because I found that scrapbook in the attic the other day and had a flip through it. Man, Finn had done a lot by then, and a lot more since. Like getting to meet the American president and going up to the International Space Station. It's always the same, though. 
You go searching for one thing and get distracted after finding something unrelated. I'd never imagined it was a sign. Until now. And now, it's too late. You see, after I saw the ghost, I must have done a million drawings of it. I'd completely forgotten about them until I went looking for art things, sketches, drawings, stuff I could use for this portfolio I have to put together for a college course I wanted to do after the leaving. I'd spread them out on the living room floor and tried taking half-decent photos with my phone when Mam came in. Proper shocked at the sight of them. Said she was sure she'd thrown them all away years ago now. But no, there they were. Copybooks. A4 pages. The backs of strips of wallpaper. White chalk on black paper. Absolutely anything I could get my hands on. All full of pictures. All weird. Beautiful and haunting in their own way. The letters W-B-S-I-R-E scratched on every single one. Looking at those pictures was like crashing back to that night. Like looking at the astronaut's ghost through static. Where everything was scratchy. I remembered it being there and not there all at once. And it was another warning from outside of time that I missed. Now, it's too late. We were watching the launch on TV. Ma'am and myself watching Finn. Sitting there, feeling so proud of him. The camera zoomed in on Finn standing there in his flight suit. He waved and tapped his chest just above his heart, where the nameplate was. W-B-S-I-R-E. William Butler Shaw Island. My fingers went tingly. My stomach nodded. I don't even remember screaming. Apparently... The launch was fine, but when they left the atmosphere, the shuttle was hit by solar flares, or cosmic winds, or a gamma ray burst, something, I don't know. My entire science knowledge comes from a stack of Fantastic Four graphic novels Finn left behind when he moved out. I think he always wanted to be Reed Richards, but I've no idea why. Reed was a dick. I've watched it over and over online. Listen to the commentary as they're hit by the storm. As they disintegrated and disappeared. Atoms smashed to smithereens. Thrown to infinity lost. And Finn somehow flung back to that night. Maybe he wasn't even coming back to me. Maybe it was because that was the place where he lost his brother. Where he stopped being whole. But he went back to the wrong time. And I was the only one there. I had seven years to figure it out. But I didn't. And now, it's too late. The problem with ghosts is everyone thinks there's something from the past. No one once thought it was a message from the future that the astronaut's ghost delivered. It was a warning. One I didn't understand until now. And now it's too late. Now, I'm out of time.
You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Astronaut's Ghost was written by Ken McGrath. For more from Ken, head on over to www.kenmcgrathauthor.tumblr.com. Links are in the description. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not leave us a review and a five-star rating, as it helps us reach more people. We'll be back next Friday for our last episode of the season. We hope you've enjoyed the ride so far. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.